Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue in America. I'm Suzanne As an educator, I'm often asked by parents if they are hurting their children by speaking to them in their native language and not in English. I understand why they ask. I remember my own mom, a native Spanish speaker, being instructed by teachers to speak to us in English only. Thankfully, and really out of sheer survival, she did not and could not do that. How could she effectively parent five children in English? Still, 45 years later, we are asking the same questions and being fearful that we are doing more harm than good in keeping our own home language alive and vibrant. During this segment, we'll speak to Yurika Golden, who migrated to the United States from Japan as a young adult and is committed to keeping a bilingual and bicultural household with her children. And Dr. Nancy Cloud, coordinator of the Masters in Education TESOL program at Rhode Island College and co-author of Literacy Instruction for English Language Learners to understand the personal, social, intellectual, educational, and yes, especially economic impacts of the issue. Here's a bit of segment producer Suzanne Lasser's conversation with Yurika Golan, who migrated from Japan and is raising her children in a bilingual home here in the United States. Yurika, thank you so much for joining me today. What are some of the ways you inspire your children to learn and speak Japanese? Tell us. I try to take my kids to Japan at least once a year. So summer is a great opportunity, but the longest we can do with my current situation is like two weeks. So when they go there, they learn a lot of Japanese language and they're more curious, they're more willing to use it. But then when, once we come back to New York, nobody else speaks Japanese, even though I, mean, I try my best to speak to them only in Japanese but they're like 90% comfortable in English. And I take them to weekend Japanese school every Saturday. Okay. But a lot of kids there also are more comfortable in English. So they, without uh, supervision, they start talking in English. So I'm trying to teach them why learning Japanese and using Japanese is very important. But they are only four and seven years old right now. Right. So they don't fully understand or appreciate so it's challenging to make them want to use japanese instead of like ha have to so yeah, hopefully yes, you know those experiences will um support them enough like you said to continue to promote their interests while they're here um, right back in new york so tell me a little bit if you don't mind what does the saturday program look like is it cultural is it about teaching them to speak or write it's it's both. So it's every Saturday, it's about three hours. Sometimes they extend it to five hours, but they only use Japanese in that class. And they use some of the textbook from 
Japanese public school in Japan, but then they also align the contents with the New York local schools so that they can connect and then, ah, this is what I learned in local school, but now I can learn this in Japanese too. Oh, you know? that's so smart. Yeah. What, what a yeah. So then you, right, um, can support that further at home using Japanese. And I imagine that maybe some of the parents aren't bilingual the way you are or as comfortable in English the way you go back and forth right. aimlessly. Right. So I love the program. And most of the teachers are actually a parent of a student. Okay. So they totally understand the struggle and challenges. So I really appreciate that school in Brooklyn. I'm so lucky. <laughs> so tell me, you know, what do you do at home, right? So let's say you're talking with the children in, in Japanese and then how do you encourage them to answer you back? Or if they do answer you in English, like what do you do? What are the, the, the tricks that you're using at home to, to help maintain that sacred time that you have with Japanese with them? Good question. <laughs> So in earlier uh, age, I only try to show them Japanese uh, like movies and TV shows like Juno Ghibli, like a yeah. neighborhood Totoro. Mm -hmm. And that I only show them in Japanese without telling them it's available in English. <laughs> now, my, <laughs> now my seven year old figured out it, it, it's also available in, in English. So yeah. it's kind of hard to balance because he's so into Pokemon and Pikachu, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And also Yu-Gi-Oh! or those uh, anime all from Japan. So I think it's a great opportunity to let him watch those and enjoy those in Japanese. But these days he figured it out that everything is available in English. I'm sure he's like, mom, did you know this is available in English? And you were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking for a new thing that's only in available in Japanese, but now he kind of masters the basic letter. Do you know hiragana in Japanese? It's a basic letter in Japanese. Okay. So he can read more and recognize more words, and that actually encourage him to uh, learn more. So it's a good start, but I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> the way, the best way. My brother have ch three very young children. Right now they're zero, two, and three years old. Okay. So when they get a little older, hopefully they can have a conversation, you know. Yes. It's more fun to t speak to each other when they're close age, I think, mm -hmm. instead yeah. of grandma grandpa. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I mean, I just wanted to hear from, from parents who are really living this duality, right? And understand the importance of, of being bilingual and providing that opportunity for, for their kids. Suzanne also spoke to Nancy Cloud, an educator and advocate for second language educators and students. Why do you still believe that maintenance of the home language is essential? Well, um, we're learning so much through research, mm -hmm. Suzanne, about how much children's language assists with everything because it's the language of their thinking. And so when we promote um, the ability to, to think in two different languages, it gives them that cognitive flexibility, but it also, you know, it honors who they are. So then we know a lot about when children are comfortable, how much more they're capable of learning. And so by working in their comfort language, the mother tongue, this just accelerates learning because they're, you know, all the 
barriers are down, it's going right in, they're feeling happy, they're feeling responsive. So, I mean, there's those personal reasons to promote bilingualism, but then there's societal reasons to promote bilingualism among all children so that, um, you know, they not only can interact in one language, but they can interact in more than one language. That linguistic resource that it provides to, to them personally, but to our communities. And, you know, thinking about these times, think how important it is to be able to communicate in more than one language, just to understand everything that's going on, to get news from various places, to, it's just, it, it opens the world, you know, language opens the world. So to care about, to cultivate, to promote, to affirm children's linguistic identity, there's nothing more important in teaching and learning. It's super important. Yeah, I love how you say to honor them, right? And um, what they bring to the table and let them know that there is value Right. And it's beyond the language aspects. It's also what they know, their, their life experience, their cultural background, all the things that they bring to the classroom. It allows us to really connect what we're trying to teach to who they are as a person. Because if we know where they're coming from and we speak their language, then our teaching is so strengthened. Um, so, and certainly, you know, the kids that are coming with a language other than English, then their job is to also add English and, and maybe a few other languages. But for children that know English um, and, you know, speak, I don't know if I can speak about White Plains, but having lived in White Plains for 15 years, I remember when the first signs, McDonald's signs went up in White Plains in Spanish and what that meant to people who spoke Spanish to see uh, vital places in the community, just average everyday places in the community. Citibank, when I would go to Citibank, I could bank in one of six languages. So commercial uses of languages, there's no hesitation. They understand in banks, in restaurants, all the all the value of reaching out to people whatever language they know. But then for schools to also think about what are we preparing kids for? What's their life gonna be like in 20 years and 30 years? And it's hard to imagine with you know the globalism that we're experiencing that they don't need at least one other language, probably more. So the more languages we could develop in kids, it's every kind of advantage we can think of. So I think even to say bilingualism, it's probably trilingualism, multilingualism. Yes. We need kids to have under their belt, but not just a few words. They need to be proficient. They need to be able to really conduct life in other languages. And um, so they can enter other communities and be a part of those communities. So I think whatever direction they're coming from, that they they know a language other than English that other kids are trying to learn, or they know English and they're trying to learn another language. Those bridges that they're crossing are very, very important. And you couldn't study language till secondary school. And for many kids, not until high school. That's what a shame. Then they only have four years mm -hmm. that they could try to become proficient and only one period a day versus learning all day long through a language other than English. So dual language programs are providing such a service to our children and our families and 
and it's for all of the kids. All of the kids enrolled in the program need that program to really fully develop their bilingualism at a minimum and hopefully even more languages in the future. Yes, I, you know, Nancy, like you talked about the validation when, uh, you know, families saw at McDonald's, right, or being able to bank at Citibank in various languages. And we see advertisements all the time for people who are bilingual, yet the education system is slow to embrace it um, as vital to, I think, one of the core academic resource skills to graduate schools with. Oh, well, and now we have 39 states in the District of Columbia that provide the seal of biliteracy on children's diplomas. Yeah. And so that there's everyone who learns a language to full proficiency is being validated as having a skill that employers are going to want to know about. So it's not it, it serves society well and certainly serves the individual well. And I, I say to people all the time, and I keep using White Plains examples, but I remember when I would go to the Galleria Mall, mm -hmm. and it was, I was more likely to hear languages other than English, many languages, because it was families. The families were with one another, and they were conducting themselves, and I thought, wow, if you don't know another language, you can't even be a part of the social fabric of your community, you're, you're restricted to a certain language community. You can't, you can't cross the bridge to the other languages. So I think, you know, no matter where you live, you might say, well, was that needed in 1980? Not as much, it's still it was needed. But then in the year 2020, my goodness, how would you survive in the United States without the ability to speak another language. It's so many languages are spoken in a community. And the more you know, the more you can participate. Yes. And so I think one of the challenges that um, we still have is convincing our families, Nancy, that they should maintain and guard that home language. Yes, I would say that too, because what they lived, for many of our parents, what they lived was that because they didn't know English, I, and I can think of many, many people that I know, highly professional people, but because they didn't know English, they couldn't perform their profession. They couldn't, they couldn't use all their professional training until they learned English. So this makes them worried that they, that they really want to make sure that their child knows English, but there's just zero risk of a child not learning English. There's like zero risk, but I think for people who immigrated in particular, until they learned English, they didn't feel like they had full access. So their own life experience colors their, the fear that they don't wanna have their child ever be an outsider, that insider, outsider, or sense of belonging, knowing you belong, knowing you can fully participate, if you, ex if you experience that you couldn't, then you're fearful. You don't want that to happen for your child. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you don't see all the advantages, but all the more reason that now that we have the seal of biliteracy, I think we have to promote that a lot to parents so that they understand, gee, if your child is bilingual, they're gonna have something extra on their diploma when they apply to college or when they enter a career, with whichever they choose. That, employers are going to know or college admissions offices are going to know, wow, this kid's coming with sex, something extra. 
And so definitely, definitely, I think we want to make sure that parents understand, but also for the social, emotional well-being of their child. We don't want them to reject their linguistic and cultural identity. We want them to be super proud of who they are and the languages they know. And I think parents can understand that. I think parents can really understand that. We just haven't been telling them how important that is. Yes, I think um, one of the things I continue to do with parents is tell them, don't let English seep into the house. It's the only place that you can really have to safeguard, you know, um, your child from and letting English get in. Um, and so just ideas for parents on things that they can do, music, cultural traditions, um, making sure that language is a part of what they pass on. Oh, it's super important. And for parenting, for parenting, the kids that learned English rapidly when the parents didn't have the opportunity to learn English, it puts distance between children and their family. So we know the healthiest thing for family functioning is to maintain the language of the home, maintain and further develop the language of the home because it gives the richest connection between parents and their children and grandparents and their grandchildren. And this is really important. It's not just about school. I mean, school's important, but so is family functioning yes. and people who have strength in their family and this this gives them an edge as well yeah i think you know nancy as you're talking i'm thinking about um we know or at least we believe right or i i choose to believe that having um a varied i guess uh bicultural right multicultural experience here that that's what makes america healthy to me right and i would love for us to get to a place where america is seen as healthy because of bilingualism and multilingualism and like so many other places in the world right there this isn't even a, a thought in so many other places in the world they they fully embrace kids knowing as many languages as possible i and i think the like thinking about the native speakers of whatever language is being used in a dual language program the English is being used, of course, and then whatever that other language is, the other target language, it's, we have to make sure that the native speakers of that language get fed, like further and further language development. They're not there for the learning of the English speakers. They're there for their own learning and to make sure that um, we're giving them the richest proficiency we can give them and of course they can go further and farther than new speakers so for kids who are just starting to learn let's say Chinese or Spanish well we have to go slowly with them but we don't have to go slowly with native speakers and we should be behind them and making sure that they're going as far and as fast as we can take them so that they have super proficiency in their native language and I can think of many people that I know in New York that spoke another language home but they didn't learn to read and write it because it wasn't offered at school and that's a liability you need to be able to listen speak read and write and the reading and writing must be really really strong they have to you know so it's really important in the dual language program that we're pushing as hard as we can push on the native speaker to go as far and as fast as possible um, furthering their language development in their 
home language. At the same time that we worry about this, the kids that are new to Spanish and making sure that they're making progress, they're going to be learning at different rates. And so it's a tall order for schools and for teachers, but it's one that we really have to meet because we can't have the class designed for the kids just starting in Spanish, that everything is just for them, because that's not going to do anything for the the home language speakers of the language. They have to be, we have to privilege them too. So I think a lot about um, that we have so many heritage language learners now in the community. And if we don't start holding on to that and building um, from where they are, because we're worried about the enrichment opportunity for our English dominant students, right. then we know that down the line, uh, they're not the ones who are dropping out. It's our heritage language learners that- right. Well, a baby steps, right? And I do, I do think we have a lot of literature that shows any percent that you go up in the, in the other target language other than English, because English gets support from everywhere. English gets support from radio, TV, neighborhoods, shopping. English is just getting a lot of support. And to the point where I don't speak of it very nicely, but I call it the fat kid on the seesaw. And it's no fun to be the skinny kid on the seesaw. Mm -hmm. And if we think about that metaphor, like what are we going to do to push on the side of the skinny kid, the one that's not getting as much, you know, they're just up in the air unless we push really hard. To, to make it equivalent so that everybody has a nice ride. So I think it's, Picture time, if we could get a handle on that, you know, recess, um, lunch, and you, you know, so I think it, to the extent that we could control those periods that are, they're not instructional periods. Um, I do know of a school here in Rhode Island where they do teach the kids recess language, and then when they go out to recess, they have supports so that they're kicking the ball in Portuguese, they're, you know, they're playing games in Portuguese, but they've been taught the language that they need to do those things. Yeah. Uh, before going out for recess. Nancy, the idea of unstructured time and language development presents a unique opportunity. I really look forward to exploring this further in future episodes. We have heard that maintaining home languages are essential for the individual, the family, the community, and the world. Educationally, students who learn English and continue to develop their native language have higher academic achievement in later years than do students who learn English at the expense of their first language. Economically, better employment opportunities in this country and overseas are available for individuals who are fluent in English and other languages. And for an individual, first language fluency honors one's roots and contributions, creating an awareness that our differences make our world beautiful. I'm Suzanne Lasser. And I'm Yarina Sension. And you've been listening to Bilingual in America. Join us for our next segment. Until then, like us, follow us, share us. And in the meantime, be bold and speak your beauty.
We have heard that maintaining home languages are essential for the individual, the family, the community, and the world. Educationally, students who learn English and continue to develop their native language have higher academic achievement in later years than do students who learn English at the expense of their first language. Economically, better employment opportunities in this country and overseas are available for individuals who are fluent in English and other languages. And for an individual, first language fluency honors one's roots and contributions, creating an awareness that our differences make our world beautiful. So what can you do to encourage your child's sense of self-honoring? Encourage your child to speak to you in your home language. Give praise for doing so. And do not scold the child for wanting to speak English. Attend cultural events. Keep traditions alive. Nurture opportunities that grow all languages. Create a sturdy bridge. While in school, children who speak other languages will learn to speak, read, and write English. However, unless parents and teachers actively encourage maintenance of the native language, children risk losing their first language fluency. And with that loss, the benefits and opportunities of bilingualism. And in fact, globalism. Thank you.